everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Sierra and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Hi, Wayne Dorban, live from Northern Colorado with the Economic Action Team and our ongoing series of livecast webinars about backyard fish farming or backyard aquaculture and how you can make some money doing it. And as you see on the slide right now, can I really? Yes, you can. So we'll go ahead and get started. And I'm going to click through a slide or two here. So first, I just want to uh, thank everybody for being here. Thanks for watching our replays. As of earlier today, we have almost 400 members of our economic action team now. And we are doing two live presentations a week now, one here on Monday nights and one on Wednesday. And I say nights, and I know that some of you are watching this on a replay, some of you live or it's in the middle of the morning or different times of the day. And next week, we're going to be adding a third um, day of the week in which we do presentations, probably be on urban farming. We're going to have uh, several different guests that are going to talk about that, and that'll be We'll be adding, and, and within a month we'll have a fourth night added, and we'll just keep going from there. Um, I think I'll start as I do usually, and just see if there are any questions. And usually we don't have any at the front end, but if you've got one um, at this point, you can go ahead and put it into the the chat bar that's on the right, just to give you a little bit of orientation. You'll see that bar on the right that has a place that you can put questions. Um, and it uh, allows you to do some other things with your um, with your dashboard, and, and you can minimize it. Some people don't realize that, but if you wanted to push it out of the way, you can push a little arrow and, and move it out of the way. Um, I'll I'll answer as many questions as I can here. If I'm not able to answer them here, um, there's a couple other ways in which we can answer questions for you also, which would be you can schedule a private time with me. Uh, at the very end, I'll show you a web address, which is talkwithwayne.com. You can schedule a time to talk and, and uh, ask me questions privately. Or I will answer questions through the week um, and put them either on the Facebook page or onto uh, the web page for the Economic Action Team, the EAT um, program itself. As I said last week, um, I screwed up on, it happens a lot by the way, on the Facebook page um, as it was the first time I had created what's called a secret group. And I thought that you guys would be able to go to that and then be able to actually join yourself. Instead, we, the organizers, have to actually join for you. So here's the approach I'd like you to use. I'm trying to get everybody added. It's going to take a little while. Again, as I said earlier, we've now got close to 400 members, and all of those will be um, will be added to the Facebook group. But it's going to take us a little while to do that. It takes 30 seconds or so to add each name, and we've got other things that we're doing. If you want to get in sooner, send an email to us. Um, you'll find the email address. Um, obviously, you've gotten emails from us, Wayne at economics.org, Wayne Dorband at gmail.com. Either one of those will work. But send an email, and and if you haven't gotten put onto that page and hasn't haven't gotten a notification for it, I'll send it to you um, more quickly so you'll have it earlier. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit here in just a minute about, again, what is this economic action team. I'm not going to go into great detail on that. Um, our replays are posted from all of the past presentations. We now have seven of them that are there, three weeks each for the aquaculture 
series and three weeks for our, from Mark Shepard for the restoration agriculture um, segment, and then the one week, the one episode that we did on just describing the economic action team in more detail. Um, again, I'm just going to summarize what that means for just a second here, because you can go back and look at that video, that replay, to see um, to see that in detail. Um, We'll post those within a couple of days, usually after we, we complete the videos. I will give a little bit of a, a, a heads up. We're testing out another platform right now for doing these webinars, live casts on, um, which is called the um, Webinar Jam platform. And it's, it's one that I've used before. I like it a lot. GoToWebinar is also a really good format. The problem that we have with GoToWebinar is it won't allow us to play videos that will play them in anything other than a stilted sort of motion. And Mark Shepard in particular um, has lots of amazing field videos showing him out showing specific plants and in the field and so on. I have a bunch of them also that I'd like to be able to play. And the fact that they don't play smoothly is difficult. They will play smoothly on Webinar Jam, and I think a lot of our speakers, as we grow the economic action team, are going to want to be using videos, which is going to make it difficult for us by, to use GoToWebinar. So we might look at, um, at changing. We probably are going to test it in a week or so, maybe even as early as next week. We'll let you know way in advance. Um, you can still register using the GoToWebinar link, and we'll will register for you onto the um, Webinar Jam approach if we use that. Also, if any of you know of any other platforms that might allow us to even do this better, there's a lot of them out there. There's one called Zoom. There's one called Uber Conference. We've checked a lot of them out. We've tried Blab, which we may try to do simulcasts with um, again in the future, but we just haven't had as much success with any of them that we've had with either Webinar Jam or here with GoToWebinar. So again, if you've got some thoughts for us, please share those. We'd enjoy having them. And I'll say it again now as we, before we move ahead, please put any of your questions into the, uh, into the chat bar, and we'll make sure we try we can answer them for you. So today we're going to talk about infrastructure. Um, so that means things like your tanks or your ponds, um, a little bit about pumps. We'll talk about them a little bit more later. We'll talk about your water where you get water, what kinds of water works, what kinds don't. Um, again, you see, as you can see here, not just on a big scale, but what can you do on a patio, in a garage, um, in a south-facing window, and so on. Um, I also have some announcements that we're going to make about kind of what's in the future for the Institute of Economics and for me. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but IOE and me. Um, and then. What are we going to do next? We're going to talk about culture species um, next week um, that you can use. We're going to talk about my backyard pond, just because we've got some exciting things happening with it right now. I took some videos over the weekend. I'm going to be taking some more through the week and some more stills. And I want to show you exactly where we're doing what I'm describing here uh, in a backyard pond type of scenario. And, and then I think I told you last week I had an amazing trip to a Southern California farm that is multi-diverse, um, has a number of different things going, and we've, we've created a video of that. It's about 25 minutes long. We're not going to probably show all of it, but I want to show that to you, especially if it's next week that we use the, uh, the new webinar um, GM um, approach. And then obviously we'll end again with some questions. So. Um, Again, ask your questions anytime if you'd like uh, in, the ch in the chat area, and I'll either answer them as we go along or near the end. Um, if you would, throw in, the, uh, throw in the chat box why you're here. Why is it that you are coming to these things? What is it that you want? What are you trying to do yourself? In the economic action team, there will eventually be a form that you can fill out to tell us more about this, but it's already there on the Aquaculture Central site, which I think most of you are probably members of. And it's where we put a lot of our information also. And you can go and fill out that form there, and we can learn a little bit more about what you're doing. And that way we can help you better. 
if, if you notice, we haven't pitched anything here. We're not looking to try to get money out of your pockets and what we're doing here. So you don't have to worry about if you ask questions that we're going to, you know, all of a sudden tell you you got to pay for something. Now, we do have a consulting business, and we do have a bunch of other courses that we sell and other things that we do, but that's not what this is all about. This is truly a city of the hill sort of mentality that I'll talk about in just a second. So again, very quickly going to go through this. You, some of you have heard this, some of you haven't, um, but it's important, and I'll try to get through it in about five minutes. So what is economics? Economics is the um, is a word that that an amazing guy Dennis Weaver, who's now dead, made up about 25 years ago, and it is the synergy between ecology and economy, and that means. Essentially, how can we do things that will make the planet better and make money doing them? Um, as a, you could say, that's a big part of the whole world's sustainability, where you talk about three Ps, profit, people, and planet. All of those are involved in the concept of economics. Um, so the economic action team is a new paradigm in coaching, mentoring, teaching, and networking um, where it combines all of those adjectives, words like sustainability, permaculture, green, regenerative, access and sharing economy, all of that. They're all wrapped up in a colonomic world. And Dennis Weaver used to say it best, what we're really all about is for thousands of years, people have spent billions of dollars screwing the planet up, and we're now wanting to help people make some money making it better. And that's really what economics is. This team, the economic action team, is a hack or essentially a copy of something that's very successful, another program in the internet marketing area. And I, early on, I wasn't going to say what that was, but I am going to now, and, and it's not a big deal. It's not open. You can't just go and join it. If you are internet marketers, you should sure check it out. They open it up only for the first two or three months of every year, and then they cap it off at a certain number of users. I think we'll be doing that too in the future. But all of you that have joined now, you are, and if you stay active, you're going to be members of this for life and it won't cost you anything. But this program is called OMG, the one that, that, that we're hacking here. And OMG stands for One Man Gang. And it's in the internet marketing world. And it was started by four um, business people in that area. And just like we've started this with two, myself and Mark Shepard. And we have two others that we're going to be adding very soon. And those four all had individual expertises. And one of them was a um, social media expert. Another one was a search engine optimization SEO expert. A third was a, um, I'm losing my train of thought, was, was a generalist. And a fourth was an expert in e-commerce. And they started doing just what we're doing. One night a week, they would each teach on those topics. And they would get the replays, and they'd make them available. And they started to grow. Just as we've grown from nothing to about 400 in less than a month, they grew to 2,000 in about three months. At the end of that three months, they had added some other senior-level coaches. So they were then doing... Um, presentations three to four nights a week, even five nights at some time, which we'll be doing also. And their coaches' numbers were up to six or seven. By the end of year one, they were up to 10 to 12. That's also our goal, that we'll have somewhere in the range of, of 10 to 12 people teaching on individual topics. Again, suggestions of those topics should come from you by the end of year one. In year two, we'll add some additional coaches, and those will be maybe yourselves. Maybe some of you would, would be ones that would love to teach and to do work with us. We'll coach those people up. We'll start them out in, in sort of a team fashion with our existing senior leadership coaches, and then those people will start teaching. The OMG program today has 40 people every week that are teaching at least one hour of information. That's 40 hours of live information coming out a week and 40 hours of replays. They get over an hour of questions every time they present, sometimes up to two. So that's another 40 hours of, of networking and questions. Their Facebook groups are incredibly interactive, and there's a whole bunch of time that, that coaches also spend answering questions there also. We're going to do the same thing. Here's a real key. These coaches have to be doers. 
everything you're going to hear us teach we've done. We're not just teaching about something that's theoretical. Everything I will teach you I have done many, many times. And so we're doers first and we're coaches second. That's really important because most teaching systems out there are not done by people that have been doers. Again, right now, those are all going to be free for you as users. You'll be at the tier three level. You'll be the serious learning and doing team. Eventually, it won't be, it won't be free. And that might change as little as two or three months from now. People will be paying on a monthly basis. You won't. You've, you've, you've gotten involved in this early. If you have friends that are interested in this kind of thing, you should probably tell them they should get involved earlier. Eventually, they're going to be paying for it themselves. There will then always be a tier four, which is for is going to be free. And if we're doing 40 hours a week of content, maybe those free members will get five or something. It'll probably even be less than that. And as I said, the teachers are doers first. The idea here is totally a pay it forward mentality. We all make money doing what we teach. And this is something we're doing to give away our time. Clearly, we believe if we do that, we're going to create a community, a team, a tribe that will eventually do the same thing that we're teaching. And we believe paying it forward works. So that's the whole idea of a city of the, on a hill mentality. Um, I've talked really all around about all the rest of this, and so I told you there is a replay of a video that we did about this on June 7th that you can go back and watch. For this fish farming segment, what we're doing is going through a series of, of, of presentations about different areas. First one we did was planning. You can go back and listen to the replay on that. The second one we did was on financial. You can listen to that replay. We started a little bit on infrastructure last week. That's what I'm going to talk about a little bit more today and actually finish that off. Next week, we're going to talk about cultural organisms. Then we'll move to construction. Then we'll move to operations, then to marketing and sales. And then we'll end up talking about profit. And if there are things that you'd like to see beyond that, we'll, we'll make it longer. When we're done with this series, we're going to talk about another kind of, of aquaculture. Uh, I think right now I'm looking at doing shrimp next. We'll talk very specifically about shrimp aquaculture because we've had lots of uh, questions about that. So we'll get to infrastructure in a second, but I see we've got a couple of comments and potential questions here. Let me just look at them for a second see uh, what we've got. Um, this is people that are commenting about just what they would like to learn. Um, Steven says he's got experience with aquaponics, loves to grow things. That's awesome. Um, Dustin says he wants to figure out how to uh, start a business um, using aquaculture, challenges of cold climate. He's in Utah. Well, you've got very similar client to, uh, climates to us. And again, I'm going to talk about all kinds of systems that can help um, deal with that, including my backyard system, where I don't deal with it any other way than just knowing that it's there. I obviously don't harvest in the middle of the winter, um, but we do harvest right before winter. And we harvest in the spring, and we use water that's got ice on it all, all through the winter um, in, in our one of our pond systems. We, we've got several other things that we work on, too. So, um, didn't, those weren't any questions, but just some comments from people. So, let's... Um, I'm going, to, I'm going to switch kind of away from the big picture here and go back because I'm going to show some pictures that I've got as I talk about some things. All right, let's uh, escape out of this version. Okay, why are you not escaping? Back up. I'll click over here on exit. That's the way to do it. There we go. Um, so let's get really basic. And I'm going to get rid of my webcam also. You don't need to be seeing me there make the picture look a little bit bigger. Um, let's get it basic. First place, you've got to have water, obviously. I'm going to talk about water kind of at the end of the presentation. But what are the kinds of water that you can have? You can have ponds. You can have streams. So that's running water. Ponds would be stagnant. And they're not really stagnant because you're going to hear it. You're going to see that even in a pond, there's, there's really always some water movement. There's water coming in. There's water going out. In a pond that's absolutely stagnant, by the way, if, if, if you get a pond that fills with some 
you either fill it yourself, which could be the case, and I've had ponds of that kind, you actually have to create some water movement, and, and we'll talk about why that's important in a little bit. Uh, if you leave a pond totally stagnant, you're going to really struggle with it. It's going to it's really going to create some problems. Um, it could be a stream that you might have. Um, I didn't put lakes on here because again, this is backyard oriented. Um, you could have a lake, however, that maybe is adjacent to your property. You could live on, on on a larger body of water where it's not just yours, and you could use what's called net pens. And we're going to talk about net pens as a type, as a way to grow things in ponds or on lakes and in streams. And then finally, tanks. Tanks would be anything that's a man-made type of structure that you would be using to grow in, uh, instead of something that's in the in the ground where you're taking advantage of, of of digging in the ground, or you already naturally have something that's in the ground. A tank would be defined as something that's more man-made. So I did a couple of different Google searches here, and I'm just going to point out a few things as we look about it. Now, this is a search just to, you know, what's, what's fish farming in your garage? Um, and obviously not all these pictures are from garages. Um, here's one here, though, that uh, is um, a place in Minneapolis. I actually know this facility. It's in a, a small warehouse. This is aquaponics. Um, these are the plants that are growing over here in... Uh, um, what's called nutrient film technology systems, and these are the fish that are growing in these tanks here. Uh, here's a small greenhouse um, that's probably not much larger than a garage, uh, probably an aquaponics system. Uh, it says that actually over here, so it is. I showed this picture last week, smaller scale. This is actually one of our facilities. This was in a greenhouse that's about garage size. The greenhouse really didn't have any value as it related to um, the winter situation, as a matter of fact, we had to heat that and it was much worse because of having to do it. This is some other uh, tanks that we had. There's a different view of a different greenhouse system we had. Here's, a, here's one that we actually have a full uh, DIY article about that we'll get, we can get for you. This is a vertical system that could easily be done in a garage. This is all using PVC pipe. Notice something that we use here. This is sort of on the small side of infrastructure. These are Dixie cups um, that we just poke holes in the bottom of um, with, a, with a nail or a punch. Uh, you can use a, actually a punch that you would use to uh, use to paper if you get it in there, but actually a nail works even better. Um, and they cost about a penny each. And if you buy the, the, the pots that you'd get from uh, hydroponic supplies, Minimally, they're going to be 23 to 25 cents, so not a bad, not a bad way to go. And they'll last just as long. Reuse them over and over and over again. Um, this is just another. This is an Intex swimming pool. So an example of ponds. Again, um, this is in some of our facilities. All these pictures. There's a, a whole bunch of Intex swimming pools uh, in a setup. Here's here's inside of a, another warehouse situations with blue barrels, and other things of that nature. Um, here's a raceway system, much larger. This is probably a um, state or federal fish hatchery. Um, raceways, even though that looks kind of like a pond, those are man-made. They happen to be just under the ground level. I'm not calling those ponds. And that's probably, again, like I said, a state or federal facility. Uh, a little farther down. Here's a here's a, a real typical farm pond in the, probably in the Midwest somewhere. Looks like that's probably a half an acre in size or so. Um, that pond right there could make $50,000 a year for a fish farmer um, if they had one that was that size. Um, I, down, oh, here we go. Really perfect example of probably a garage um, type of system. This happens to be a raft-based aquaponic system um, built with two by sixes, two by fours. Again, don't know this. This is in Detroit, as the picture says, but it looks like it's in a garage size um, sort of scenario. Here we go. <laughs> here's a here's a here's a garage clearly, and um, it's kind of a play on a picture because it looks like it's got somebody's put a road going all the way through it. Um, and let me just pick out one or two more here. 
is something we don't see in the U.S. too much. This is something that I think we need to take a lot more of a look at. These are ecologically based um, aquaponic systems, and this happens to be in, um, in the ocean. And those are aquatic plants, that's seaweed being grown in a controlled setting. And there's also oysters being grown in this same situation. The Chinese do a lot more of this. Uh, we just don't do it here in the U.S. hardly at all. Here's a smaller system where um, it, it's, it's actually on a lake. This is something that is, again, something we don't see here in the U.S. Um, there's fish ponds. So this is a floating scenario in Vietnam. And this is, again, a kind of aquaponic systems. Notice all of these little fish growing in here. This is their hatchery. They will move those fish into bigger net pens that they've got. And they actually work and live all on these same sort of settings. As you can see, they're not very sophisticated, but they make livings doing this. Here's a little bit, a depiction of something on a bigger scale. Um, this is one called City Slicker Farm. This was supposed to have happened. It, it hasn't yet. Um, it's in, a, in a, a little bit bigger section, a little beyond the scope of what we're talking about here for backyard fish farming. Um, this is one that I really enjoy. This is a shipping container, and, um, and, and it, it's set up in Detroit, and they added a section up above it. Um, they have uh, fish growing inside. They've got some plants growing up above. And again, uh, something that you can do is you can buy shipping containers right now. And this is for those of you that are talking about northern climates, cold weather climates. We'll show some of ours. We have seven shipping containers that we've got now, and we've had as many as uh, many more than that, and that we've actually did did experimental work with and then sold. Um, to other parties. You can buy shipping containers still for um, under $3,000 in most places if they're, if they're insulated and they were refrigerated or freezer containers previously. They're going to be a little bit more, more expensive. Uh, we can help you out with that if you don't know where you can find those, wherever you happen to live. <coughs> and again, this is one's very DIY. Um, let's see if they can, we can show you some of the other pictures of it here. This is a chicken coop, actually. I'm not sure that they have more on this site. Um, nothing more here. Here's a, it's too bad that picture's just not a little bit bigger. Um, these are net cages um, in, a, um, in, a, in a little water body. So these are on a pond. And here's a much bigger version of a net pin in a larger lake situation. Um, and, and so, you know, again, probably a little bigger than what a backyard system would be. Here's a stacked aquaponic systems. Make use of vertical um, when you're doing anything that's indoors. Uh, you can grow fish at the bottom. Fish do not like light. Um, they will do much better if you keep them in a dark situation and, um, and then grow plants up above them. Here's a little different way to stack. That's one of the big things that I want to point out is that when you're working with, with uh, small spaces, this looks like it's on a small deck, you need to take advantage of verticality. Um, there's a floating home, it looks like. Um, again, a little more modern, so I doubt that this is in some place like uh, Vietnam. Um, but it looks like there's some net cages over here to the side. They're growing plants, five-gallon barrels, um, using trellises that they've created here. There's some additional, um, looks like blue barrel types of tanks back here in the background. Um, so those would be some examples. And then I'm going to show one a little bit more on some net cages. Um, here's a really little pond that is a backyard kind of pond situation um, covered to probably keep predators away. That's going to be something that I highly recommend in most places that you're trying to do something in a really small space. The, on infrastructure side, they probably used a liner here that was PVC. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we talk about ponds here in just a minute. Um, here's an example of a, of a net cage that's made out of uh, netting. You can buy, um, this is livestock netting that you can buy, and it's, it's 
It's not metal, so it's not going to corrode and rust. Um, it, it, you don't have to, again, use expensive netting that you'd buy from uh, certain different specific aquaculture supplies. A lot bigger system here uh, that happens to be net pens and net cages. Here, again, is one that's we need to think much more about in this country. Um, this is a uh, uh, aquaponics, again, on a pond, in, in, uh, in rafts, and then they have fish that are growing or out and around in um, different areas here. Here's a great example um, of somebody constructing a net pen. Um, looks like that's metal, but that could just as easily be PVC or it could be two by fours, um, wood that you get that you can find at auctions and other places, and that's using blue barrels. They'll then put the net town in, you know, below this. I think there's one more picture of them here that I'm going to go to. Here's another one that's, that's on a fairly small pond situation. You can see those are probably 10 foot um, diameter or 10 feet square, and they're floating on styrofoam, um, stacked pieces of styrofoam, so you don't have to glow with blue barrels. I highly recommend, and this is some of you aren't going to like to hear this, but think about something called dumpster diving. You would not believe the tens and thousands, maybe hundred thousand dollars worth of value that I've gotten through the years for a hundredth of that price by finding things that um, through a through a process of finding it that other people have thrown out um, styrofoam if you just sort of target where is it where is there somebody that's in the construction business um, and find their yards and go talk to them and ask if you can have their waste pieces of styrofoam um, you don't need four by eight pieces. They don't even need to be two by two pieces. You can put them together. All you want to do is have um, floats that would be similar in size, and you could put together lots of pieces. What would be another thing you could think of that you could use um, to do that? I, I'm going to throw that out there for a question. What's something, maybe the most inexpensive thing you could think of that you could use for a floats if you were building a float system for a net cage like this? And one of the farms that our part that we work with, or one of our partners in Africa, does this. Let's see if we get an answer here from anybody before I go on. I'm taking a little bit of a breath. To put a one in the chat if you're getting any value out of this, please. Um, and then answer for me if you can tell me. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for a little bit, see if we get any answers, to tell you what would be an unbelievably inexpensive sort uh, um, of uh, float that you could make for yourself. Here's another picture of some floats. This is using uh, commercial, and again, probably a little more expensive, although maybe not. Again, th this, is, this looks like this is a, a, a depiction, actually, of something, and these are wrapped in, in this kind of an orange color. Uh, somebody said buckets. That could work, five-gallon buckets. That's, I'm thinking of something cheaper than that, though. So I'm going to move back here to the tanks. Here we're getting somebody else put another answer in here. Let's see what I see. Inner tubes. That's a really good one. That's not what I'm thinking. Air-filled packaging. That is, that's a good one. Bubble wrap that you could get. But those things are a little bit harder to find. I'm thinking of something I guarantee you can find everywhere. Another, buddy, another person says styrofoam pellets um, in a net. Yes. Well, I'm going to go ahead and answer it just because it's, um, we'll, we'll, then you move ahead. Waste bottles. Waste two liter, one liter, two liters are the best. Pop bottles. And all you got to do is be able to have them to where you can either, it's best if you have, if you find them that already have the lids on them because then the air is tight in them. Or if you don't, you can actually create a seal yourself for the lid. You package them together and you take something like the landscaping fabric that I was talking about before or livestock netting and you wrap it or you can do it with hog pen wiring, any number of other things and create amazing floats. Um, and next week I'll show, you know, actually I'm going to go to it now. I'm going to show a picture of Labyrinth real quick.
This is our um, farm that we have over in Ghana. It is the uh, fastest growing and, and largest. Here is a picture quickly, this will move quick, but of, the, of their net cages. This is our partner, Fola. Um, but I'm going to show you their, this picture here, which shows the, uh, go to products shows the, the net cages that, that we've actually patented over in uh, that area. Here you can see them wrapped in a livestock mesh. Use um, shrink, you know, all kinds of different um, bungee cord, anything else to lash them. And here you can see them. And if you build them big enough here, you don't even need to have wood on top of them for your ramps and to be able to walk on. So this site is laveroff.com. You can go to this and look at some of the things that uh, that we we work with. There's just different pictures of the team and so on over there. It's a really cool project. A lot of giving back associated with it. Um, so it's using two-liter bottles. All right, now let's talk about ponds. A little bit more. Um, I'm go back to ponds here. What what what's the first thing? I mentioned this a little bit last time that you should think about if you're having to dig a pond. You don't already have one on your property. It's where the groundwater is, and that is if it's if if there's fairly shallow groundwater, and you can figure that out by doing what we call a test pit. Dig a little hole with a shovel or a post hole digger or, digger or something else if you really don't know how deep the groundwater is wherever you aren't thinking about your pond and go uh, go down and go as deep as you think your pond needs to be and I'm going to talk about depth here in just a minute um, it, and by the way it should be at least six feet and I'll talk about why seven to seven to eight feet is even better in most places and and Dustin this fits for you you were talking about um, in the cold weather area of Utah. Um, if you go at least seven feet, you will avoid the potential for any winter kill, uh, even if the pond completely freezes over in the winter. With the right kind of, of culture organisms, you can completely freeze, and those animals will stay safe um, if the water depth is at least seven to eight feet. Um, but you should test first. If you find out that you've got groundwater that's shallow, that might not be a horrible thing, but it might be because if you try to go in with a liner and have groundwater that's always coming up underneath it, you're going to have a real problem. If you have soils that are uh, that are not porous, compact things like clay, um, and and you can hit groundwater, it can actually be a good thing that the groundwater is shallow. Most places, however, you won't have that situation. Most places, if you've got really shallow groundwater, you probably have sandy soils, loamy soils, and you dig that hole, and yeah, there's going to be water in it at first, but it's never going to be able to be filled up because you're going to add water to it, and it's always going to sink back down to the level that you found that water, let's say two to three feet below the surface. You won't be able to keep it up to the surface, and you can't put a liner in it without putting a lot of weight on top of it, which would be difficult to do because the liner is going to keep wanting to get pushed up by the, um, by the by the water that's coming from underneath it. So you want to do a test pit first. A pond should have relatively steep sides and a flat bottom. And the reason for that is that you want to make it easy for you to harvest, easy for you to clean if you need to, um, easy to add structure to. We'll talk about that later. Um, and what you don't want is something that's oval because it'll be difficult to manage. If you have to get a deeper spot, with, which is what oftentimes you would do, and have a flat surface in everywhere but that deeper spot, which is what we do on our ponds here, um, that will work too. So we make most of our ponds four, three and a half to four feet deep, and then we, then we, then we put one place in them that's going to be six to eight to ten feet deep, and even deeper if we need to. So then you can have shallower water, easier for you to work in, easier to harvest, to do a lot of things in, 
and then you, you can still get that refuge for the winter situation by having maybe a, a quarter of the pond, or in some cases even less if you go deeper, that's got that deeper depth. So it makes your digging, makes your construction uh, an easier process. So you, again, think about steep sides, think about having a fairly flat bottom, and then if you need to, to get more depth, to have one place that's a lot deeper. Um, and then you don't have to do the whole pond for that depth. Now, the problem with vertical sides is that you won't, the, the, the sides will slump, um, and you, you don't want that either. So when I say steep sides, and it depends a little bit on your soil type, it's not going to be totally vertical, but it's, it's pretty steep, probably 70 degrees or so for an angle. Don't go 30 degrees as an angle if you can avoid it just because it's going to become really difficult to harvest in that kind of circumstance. Um, in almost all cases, if you're just digging a pond, you're going to need a liner. And I've mentioned before, the liner can be PVC. It could be, it could be literally the same inexpensive um, plastic that you get at Walmart or at Home Depot with multiple layers. It's probably not going to last forever if you use that approach. If you get a nice 40 mil PVC liner or EDPM, those are two different acronyms for kinds of a, of a of plastic that you can use. By the way, neither one of them will leach. There's been all kinds of testing. A lot of people say PVC leaks. Well, there's several different kinds of PVC, and the kind that's been, that's been made to use for fish ponds is not going to leach. Um, at least there's not really any evidence from all kinds of studies that have been done of it. Um, PVC pipes also, I will say, um, there is a potential that they would, le they would leach some, but there's been no evidence of any leaching in literally probably tens of thousands of fish farms that used PVC um, throughout the world. So again, if you're doing a pond, um, you want to do a test pit first, you want to dig it to where there's close to vertical sides, you can't go directly vertical because they'll slump off over time, and you want a flat bottom, and if you need to, to go deeper, you can go in your really deep section in a, in a smaller portion of the site. If you're damming up something, if you're building a pond by making a dam, which is a great way to do things if you've got any kind of contour on your land, again, think about making it deeper right where the dam is, and then leveling off the rest of it, or it can be gradual going up your valley. I've built multiple ponds in valleys where we've had dams that, that have created that, again, that deep spot right by the dam. But what we've done a little different, instead of leaving the sort of oval contour that would normally occur, a V-shaped contour, we want to dig out to where we get those more steep sides and the more flat bottom. And then one other thing. Don't put plastic down, if at all possible, uh, any kind of a liner, directly onto the ground. Go dumpster dive, find carpet, and uh, I'm going to put in a little quickly here a search for dumpster diving for carpet and see what we see and see what that comes up. You can find it, it's funny, they're just showing carpet. I don't think people want to admit that they're probably doing any dumpster diving. Uh, I should have thought better. Here's, there's a guy that's, that's down in, a, in it, but I don't think that's what we're, uh, what we're thinking about here. I have found tens of thousands of square feet of carpet. Here's, here's an example of somebody that did. Here's a great, that might even be one of our pawns. <laughs> um, no, I don't, I don't think it is because we never have one that's got a little bridge on it. So this is a great example. This is not the shape that I'd want you to do. This is probably not going to be a fish pond for commercial fish production for making money. Um, but that's, that's carpet that they got from a dumpster diving, and they put that down, and now they're going to put plastic in line above it. Here's a real key. Make sure that the carpet um, staples or tacks are not in the carpet. You will puncture your, um, your liner if you don't pull those out. So think about that once you get it. A lot of times they'll still be in it. You can pull them out yourself or just avoid pieces that have got it in it if you can. Um, again, 
go to carpet stores and if you want, ask them if they can go into it. Most of them love you if you just go and take it out of their dumpsters because they've got to pay for what's in there otherwise. Um, you're not going to find anybody arguing with you typically if you feel like you have to ask. So what about tanks? What are the kinds of things that you can use for tanks? Um, everything you can imagine that you could pick up through, uh, through inexpensive sources. And I've already talked about some. Swimming pools. Intex is a brand name. Um, agricultural tanks, farm pond tanks, or um, silos that you'll find people are giving away and you can just cut them apart. A little bit of work on your part. You can make ponds. Here's an example of probably someone that made this with um, liner over um, a wood sort of a, a, of a design. Be careful with that. I've had a 10,000 ta gallon tank blow out <laughs> and uh, flood an entire warehouse space that we had. And actually, now that I'm looking at it, I couldn't tell that picture was blurred. These are cinder blocks. And then they're lined on the inside. You can see that they use two by eights probably on the top. They put the lining underneath it um, and then coated the inside of that tank. Um, and that's with cinder blocks. You can use natural stone. Um, and we're in an area where we have natural stone. And it doesn't even have to be perfectly shaped. And again, if you use carpet to line it on the inside, and I would always recommend that if there's any chance that you've got sharp edges of any kind, um, you can use something that doesn't, isn't very low, isn't very soft and, and um, sheer. These cinder blocks, have obviously, you can look at them, they, they, don't, they don't have real solid, sheer sides. They, they've got lots of kind of uh, edges, so there's probably some kind of a liner there. Um, blue barrels, I talked about them. Gosh, we used to get them free. You shouldn't pay more. I went on Craigslist before today, um, before we did today, and people are paying 20 bucks for them. You can still get them for less than that. Um, if you try to buy them new, you're going to pay 30 bucks even for them. This is an intact pool here, depending on its size. This one is looking like it's 12, maybe, maybe 15 feet. I think it's 12. I think it's not 15. That's a $200 pool, and that includes the pump if you were to get it with it also. Um, you can use, again, Home Depot liner inside tanks. Probably not so much in a pond, even though if you do several layers, you could. Um, here's commercial tanks. That these tanks, this, they look like they're maybe three or four hundred gallon tanks. They probably cost seven, eight hundred dollars. That's crazy. You can build that with wood and with liners, or with concrete block and with liners for a tenth of that price. What kind of fish are these, by the way? They're cobia. They're calling them tur they're calling them uh, tuna here, but that's a fish type that if you're in a marine system, we're going to talk about next week a little bit. Um, here's a smaller um, lined tank. This is probably not a pool. This was probably made. Hot tubs? <laughs> older hot tubs. I've gotten older hot tubs at auctions for two bucks, three dollars sometimes. Unbelievably cheap. Let me look here for a second and see if we'll get a couple more questions. <laughs> Yeah, question, is there a problem with Intex pools? Not at all. Again, remember, they're built for humans, very, very sensitive, even though sometimes they'll put water chemicals in them, chlorine and so on, but they're literally made um, to really high standards, so where they don't leach, they're not going to be any kind of a problem. If you buy one that's used, you might want to clean it first. You can use a Again, even though you don't want to have this in your material, you can use a really light um, non-chlorine bleach, uh, hydrogen peroxide kind of a solution, a very, very uh, low um, concentration, 
and clean them. But no, Intex should not create any kind of a problem. Uh, matter of fact, again, you've seen so many pictures of these people use them all over the world. They're not going to leach at all. Great question, though. Um, so again, lots of variations, all kinds of things you can do. The real key is don't spend a lot of money. You don't need to. If you're doing a tank system for a, a backyard sort of farm, whether it's aquaponics or just straight up aquaculture, and you spend more than three or four hundred dollars for either digging a pond and and lining it and getting it ready, um, and to make an income of ten thousand dollars, you're spending too much. So let's do that. Do that number again. If you're spending more than three or four hundred to generate income of ten thousand annually. I believe you're spending too much. You can do better. You actually are going to spend more for PVC pipe if you have to buy that. A lot of times getting used or scrap PVC isn't easy, and you're going to spend a little bit more on pumps probably, but you shouldn't be spending that much on the infrastructure of your tank. Um, let's talk about round tanks versus square rectangular. Um, round is always better on smaller size, even a larger size, because you aren't going to get dead pockets. You aren't going to get places where your water um, isn't flowing. Remember I said earlier that you want a pond that has some kind of water movement, and the reason is because you're, you're growing animals in it in higher densities than they're ever going to be in a natural situation, and there will be areas that get created that have oxygen depletion. So look at this tank here and the density of these fish. Um, let me see if it says what kind they are. Royal Dorado. Oh, this is okay. So these are uh, marine fish, but this density is is pretty common. You could grow tilapia, you could grow catfish, you could grow trout that would be about this same kind of density. Um, this is, these are fairly large tanks, but so visually, when you look at it, you're seeing the fish fairly close to one another. And even in a tank like this with that many fish, there would be dead zones if the water's not moving. If possible, you want the water moving in a circle so that it's being what we call laminar in flow. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about, we'll show you how to do that in one of the later, later episodes. Uh, but you don't want what we call dead spots. In a square tank or a rectangular tank, it is really easy to get dead spots. It's hard to get water to circulate. So instead, you've got to do something like this, where you can see that water is spraying in from one end. And I don't have the other end of it here but it's probably moving out at the other end. So if it's moving in one straight line, you can maintain that same kind of laminar situation and not end up with dead zones. This, this tubing, by the way, is oxygen tubing, and we'll talk about that because you are going to need air tubing, air or oxygen, usually air. I, I, should have, I should have backed off and said that you don't need to have oxygen in most cases, even with this high densities as you might want to have. Um, but round is still better. A raceway system, that's what this is showing here, where water's circulating around. Notice they've got this in the water and they're circulating like this and it's going around the way my cursor is here. That's all right, and again, because you're keeping a laminar, it's kind of like a stream inside of a tank. Notice how they put baffles on the corners. This is an expensive tank, by the way, um, and, and, and made of concrete. Um, and they've done that because if you left it square in the corner, you're going to get that dead spot again. And that dead spot will grow, and a fish will swim into it, and he'll literally be like you being having your oxygen cut off, somebody saying breath for a minute and a half. With a fish, if it goes into it and it can't breathe for seconds, it can kind of get disoriented. It might just not get out of there, and it might die right there. So. Um, you've got to keep flow moving. And, and frankly, with the densities that you're going to have in an aquaculture system, which is, again, maybe as much as 10 times higher than it would be in a natural situation, you, oxygen is one of your most critical variables. And we're, we'll talk more and more about that as we move along. So I think that's about what I want to get to on infrastructure today. We've got about six or seven minutes before we end. Let me go back to the presentation here. Um, size of your system, um, that's really dependent on what your goals are. And rather than just telling you what works, we're going to talk a little later about how you measure your 
production, and it can be measured either per square meter or per square yard or per cubic meter or yard or per gallon. And I'm going to give you numbers in later episodes of what you should be shooting for. And it's not so much how big in terms of your pond is, it's how much water that you have and how much you can grow vertically if you're in a smaller space. And again, size is going to be limited by what your resources are. If you're in a northern location and you have to keep it indoors to be able to run year-round and to be able to harvest year-round, obviously, the more you can take advantage of verticality, the better off you're going to be. And you know, in a, in a small-scale system, you're going to have to go more vertical, and you're going to be smaller. Water. I'm going to just end with talking about water, where it comes from. Lots of sources. It can come from your city water. It can come from a well. It can come from a natural system. That's probably better, by the way. If you can actually somehow transport water, if you're, you're starting a brand new system yourself, from some natural system, rather than using groundwater or, or water from a, from a municipal source, you're much better off. Now, you should make sure you know that that's a clean system that you're taking it from. So it should be one that is well-known where there's fish growing in it. It's a really healthy system. You don't want to just go to some sewer somewhere and grab your water. Um, here's the problem with water that you get from, well, from wells. It has no oxygen in it at all. Sometimes it's got elevated sulfur. You can smell that if it's in it. But you can't smell, you can't know whether there's not oxygen in it. You can only know by testing. And the problem is if you take it out and try to put it right into a tank, you're putting zero oxygen water. It'll, it'll gain oxygen pretty quickly, but you're putting that right into something with, with living organisms. And again, a fish swims into that boom where you have a, a small area with no oxygen, and they're gonna, there's going to be mortality. Um, secondly, there's other things in groundwater that aren't necessarily healthy related to what its pH would be. Typically, we're going to talk more about water quality later. If you're going to use groundwater, you should store it first. Once you've stored it, and I don't mean store it for a long time, but for 24 or 48 hours, then you can put it directly into a tank. Um, so if you're using groundwater, we use groundwater at our farm. We have a well. We store the water, and even when we're feeding it to livestock, we store it before we feed it. We don't want it coming right out of that well. Water from a city has got similar issues. It's going to oftentimes have very little oxygen and other of those, but it's got worse things. It's usually got chlorine in it for treatment or ammonia or amines or a number of other things that aren't so good. Most of them are what we call volatile. They will they'll go out of the water and go into the air um, if you let it sit. I am going to talk about water testing later, and if you're using city water, you're definitely going to want to have some kind of water testing so that you don't introduce water that's got some of those things that the city's been using to treat their water. If you're going to use city water, you should get a hold of your local municipality, wherever that water is coming from. Ask them for what they treat their water. They're required by law to tell you that, and it actually is probably posted on their websites. And at the very least, again, you're going to want to store water before you use it. Well, that takes more space. You need to think about that. But there's a positiveness of storing. One of the things you always want to be prepared for in fish farming is disasters. And sometimes a disaster is something like we said that happened when we had a tank blow out. You always want to have more water available so that if you do have something, you lose water. A blowout's probably going to be pretty disastrous. But if you have a spill or a leakage or something, if you've got extra water already right there, you can react really quickly and get it into your system. So um, that's going to be important. So why don't you be thinking of your questions. I'm going to just quickly go through something that in weeks to come I'll talk about some more. But um, that's related to what's next for IOE. And again, IOE is the acronym for the Institute of Economics and for me. I just want to bring you up to speed on some things that are going to be happening, some things you might be thinking about if you're at all interested in them. First is that we're going to be having what's called Celebrate Sustainability. This will be our sixth. Um, yearly, and I, don't, I can't say annual because we actually had to skip a couple of years, one, time, one of those because we had huge floods, um, the second year because we just weren't recovered yet from those floods, that's how bad they were a year later. But we went four years in a row, we skipped two years and then we went last year, and this will be our sixth that will be coming up. We'll talk a lot more about it, it's a 
two-day event where we have speakers come in from all over. We have barbecue. We have we have bonfires. We have music. We have this. We have all kinds of things. We're gonna have a race probably this year. Um, we're gonna we're gonna have very very specific uh, um, sustainability workshop. We're gonna probably do an aquaculture workshop. Um, we have an alpaca farm, and you probably known that if you checked us out at all and there'll be what's called National Alpaca Day which is on Saturday the 24th actually days are both the days but we'll emphasize that a little bit also we're also going to start leasing our ranch location out for other people who want to do workshops and events it's it's going to initially be for first our coaches for the eat for the eat program but then we're going to also offer it out to others too we have a ton of of, of, of assets that can be useful. Probably 20 different kinds of aquaculture systems that a person could use in their own seminars if they wanted to teach there. Um, all kinds of agricultural systems that, that can also be used as somebody wants to use that as a venue to be able to teach at. We've got places for lodging, um, we've got food service and all kinds of things like that. Um, we're looking for a ranch manager. Just wanted to make sure everybody was aware of that. If they're looking at a potential opportunity or they know someone, they can get a hold of us uh, we'll talk more about it. We're also looking for investors for our uh, for our alpaca herd and for our ranch. And then these are the last two, three things that I want to talk about briefly. Deb and I are um, going to change our lifestyle in the near future. We're going to be living part of our year in a fifth wheel away from our ranch location, hopefully traveling around and visiting a number of you, a bunch of you. Um, we can do our business as long as we've got internet and as long as we've got proximity to an airport anywhere in the in North America and we're going to start doing that and we're actually going to be kicking it off about a little less than a year from now about 10 months from now um, and that's that last bullet CDT 217 um, we're going to have an event that's going to be bigger than our celebrate sustainability event which is going to be held Earth Day weekend so the 22nd is Earth Day and then the 23rd is a Sunday after that um, that we're calling the International Drive for Economic Action, so the IDEA 2017. And a big element of that's going to be a race, a 24-hour running, walking, relay, single, all kinds of venue race. I am an ultra runner and a runner, and I've got a whole community of people that do that. There's only two others of these kinds of races like this in the United States. Over in Europe, there's hundreds of them. And the two that are in the U.S., one's in January, the other one's in November, and so we're going to be in the spring. Um, there'll be people coming in from all over the country to be doing that. Um, it's going to be a fundraiser um, for the Institute of Economics and for the next thing here, CDT 217. Before I say what that is, does anybody know what that acronym means, CDT? I'll just wait just a second to see if anybody puts in, and then we're going to be done here in just a second after this. Please put in any other questions you have also. CDT, anybody know what that is? I don't see anybody saying anything. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to wait just a second here and then tell you. Any guesses? CDT is Continental Divide Trail. This is one of those little bit of a bucket list thing for me, but it's something that's really motivating my wife and I to make a change because we want to in our lives. So I'm going to be leaving on the 24th, probably Monday, Deb and I are, and driving to the Mexico border, Mexico-U.S. border, and right outside of the little, the little nub that sits down from New Mexico. That's where the Continental Divide Trail starts on the south, and it runs to the north and ends at the Canadian border in Glacier National Park. It's, it's right at around 3,000 miles, and I'm going to be, and it's going to be a fundraiser for Ecolonomics, for our uh, programs where we give our HOPE programs and help people all over the world. What's interesting about it is I'm going to do something quite a little bit different than just a norm. I'm going to be doing networking and masterminding throughout the entire hike. People can hike with me for a day or two days or probably not a whole lot longer than that because um, it's going to be kind of a grind hiking and literally pick my brain for entire days. The same thing, I'm, a number of our coaches are going to hike with me and you'll be able to then be with them and pick their brains as well as getting a little bit of shape yourself and enjoy the beautiful country that we're in. So that's just mentioning that. We'll talk more about it over time because that's something that's coming up moving ahead. And then um, next week we talked about, we're going to talk about culture species, 
um, our backyard farm. We're going to show some pictures and videos of that. And then the Southern California farm. And then questions, if you've got any. Um, I don't see anybody coming in right now. Let me click down one more time. Nope, nothing else right now. Um, and then if you've got other things, you can schedule a time with me live at talkwithwayne.com. Um, Deb and or Mark, I'm going to unmute you for a second. Um, just a second here. Mark, are you still there? Deb, you still there? How is the volume? Are we coming through all right? Um, and uh, we're going to sign off in just a second. Again, give just a little bit more time for questions. Thank you, everybody. You guys are awesome. As always, what a great team. Mark, are you there, buddy? Say hi. Yes, sir. I'm here. Hey, man. Hello. Thank you. How how we do today? Did you learn something? Yes, sir. It was awesome. I think. Uh, um, Mark, by the way, has got a band over in Bangladesh, so he's going to make an album. He's going to be famous, and then he won't yeah. be able to do this with us anymore. Right, Mark? <laughs> I, I wish. <laughs> and then Deb, my wonderful wife, I don't know whether she wants to talk. She's got dogs in the background that are be barking. Any more baby alpacas later today? Not that I found yet. What you found yet. Is the little one still alive? Everybody, we've got a sick alpaca that maybe is not doing so well. She's so still making I haven't it? checked out for an hour and a half now, so I don't know. Well, thank you, everybody. We're going to sign off here in a second. I'm going to look down at questions one more time. Appreciate you guys. Tell your friends about this. Come listen to the replay. I know I was talking really fast today. You may want to go back and listen to it again. Um, and appreciate you guys. And thank you, staff. And we're going to sign off. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the EAT community podcast.